All right, guys, welcome back to Chewing the Fat. Please don't turn that fat. Of course, my name is Carlos. And I am the real Queen B. And I am Dr. Johnson, forever under fire. Man, there you go again, Queen, trying to play the victim. Always. Always. But you know what? I I let him go after me because I know that he's going to try to upstage me every time. I am not upstaging. <laughs> he's revealing his insecurities again? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Weekly. You can count <laughs> on the audience. He's going to do it every time. Every time. Anyway, off the back porch this week, guys, what do you have? So this week, listeners, we're doing something that we usually don't do, but we're proud to do. We're ecstatic to do. This week, we actually have an author for you. Mr. Ted Cummings, the author of the book Slumber, that is part of a six book series. And we're proud to have Mr. Cummings here. He's a native of Ohio. And I'll let Mr. Cummings tell us a little bit about himself. I appreciate that. Welcome, Ted. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad to be here with y'all, the Queen, and, and with my two brothers, Carlos and Kevin. You know, before I start talking about me, I am going to have to take a bit of an exception. I heard the title, The Real Queen Bee. And I got offended. <laughs> Why? I'm good with my sister calling herself Queen. I'm even good with my sister calling herself Queen B. But I'm a Beyonce fan. You feel me? Hey. Oh, oh, Lord. Hey. The Beehive. <laughs> the Beehive. I'm that 50-year-old brother go that goes to so. the Beyonce concert and screams like a teenage girl <laughs> with his wife standing next to him because <laughs> it's... Queen B. And so I, I don't want us to get off on the wrong foot here. Wait. Um, no, 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 no. Wait, wait. No, 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 no Ted. As you were speaking, I promise you, what I envisioned was a TikTok video of you and your wife doing like the Beyonce dances and everything. Listen, I did the dances. I sang the songs. I screamed. It is what it is. It is what it is. Having said that, brothers, I am author Ted Cummings. I'm the author of a book called Slumber. It is book one of a six book series called The Sleeper's Book Series. I am very happy to say that uh, my book and my series are authentic black science fiction. Now, it's science fiction, but it's science fiction told from an authentic black person's perspective. I got the idea for the book about six years ago, and I'll just give you a, a very brief synopsis of the book Slumber. In Slumber, a mutated virus is released into the, the continental United States. It impacts all of the population, all 330 million of us, but two thirds of the population are debilitated or immobilized by the virus. As it turns out, the remaining one third that is not immobilized or debilitated by the virus happen to be people that look like you and me. That is to say, people of color or people who have melanin or the ability to produce melanin on demand. Ooh, plot twist. Right. Man. Right. And so that's that's essentially book one, and that's the introduction. And so it's black science fiction, folks, but it's not over-the-top science fiction. I'm personally steeped in science fiction. I, I grew up reading comic books, you know, a lot of Stephen King and, and a lot of science fiction-type novels. And so that's a very real and authentic place for me to start my first novel. And of course, being a black man in America and, and being a Howard graduate and a lawyer and engineer and having sort of grown up professionally in corporate America and being an entrepreneur now and a full-time attorney really gave me insight into this kind of story, both culturally and also from a scientific perspective. Well, I tell you, I would like to dive in a little bit. So it, it's not often that you run into a, a black science fiction author. So I'm definitely happy to have you here. 
But what I would like to ask you, so what drove you to that concept and how does that really play out throughout your book? And does it have any implications to common topics and what's going on in society now? Yeah, all really good questions and related questions. So six years ago, I had actually taken a little bit of a break in my law practice. I didn't stop practicing law and I'm, I'm a patent and trademark attorney by profession. I didn't stop practicing law, but we can say that I went part time in my practice and I became a full time teacher. I taught robotics and computer science in an inner city high school in the city in which I live, which is Cincinnati, Ohio. Career and technical education. Exactly. So I taught in particular seventh graders. My expectation for my seventh graders was if 50 percent of these 100 kids that I'm teaching per year receive and accept my instruction, I'll consider it a win. Very much a win. What I discovered was that about 95 to 96 to 97 percent of the 100 plus kids that I taught per year were highly receptive, highly motivated and highly capable to access and, and take in the subject matter. And again, we're talking about straight up computer programming. We're talking about straight up robotics like we really did that work. So when I saw that, that began to that, that forced me to ask myself certain existential questions like what would these kids futures be like if they didn't have to deal with systemic racism? What would their lives and their futures look like if many of them didn't come from very hard home situations like I know that they did? What would their lives look like? As I was asking these questions about these wonderful children, I sort of broadened that idea out to, you know, hey, what would it look like if slavery had ended after the Revolutionary War for Black people? Like, what would the state of Black people be? And what would the state of Black people be? If, for example, Jim Crow had never happened, we're talking about 90 years of sheer terrorism executed upon and against black people and people of color in this country. What would our lives look like if those two things had not happened? And so when those questions began to, to form and, and I began to ponder and think them, I got an idea. And the idea really is the removal of systemic racism for people of color in America. That's the core idea, right? From a fictional perspective, because I was writing fiction, I had all types of creative license about how to get there and what to do about that. So the literal device that I use or the literary device that I use was to literally immobilize the fixtures of white supremacy in America for a little while. So essentially, so people of color could catch a breath. And, it, and ultimately, so you, you didn't kill them off. You just you just immobilized. Yeah, this is not a. This I is just not want to a, clarify. <laughs> this is definitely not a, a kill white people book, right? Excellent. And so, excellent. And, and 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 here's how you know. Here's how you know this is not a kill white people book. I could write that book as one book. Two thirds of the population died. It was all white. They all died. The end. I, that's that's one book. That's one. Book. <laughs> no need for a series, huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I've got a six book series, right? And, I, and, I, and I'm looking at two major important themes, right? One theme is what happens to America when it's just black, brown, and Asian people left to take care of it, maintain it, and, and progress it? What happens to America when that happens, right? Yes, but that's also, a controversial issue, you know, and, and, and you have to expect some manner of criticism pertaining to that particular perspective that you are showing in your book. Sure, but, but here's the criticism, right? Here's essentially... What happens to white people? It's really the only thing that happens to white people, right? In my book series, white people are removed from being the center of the story. 
They're not taken out of the story. They're not killed off. They're just removed from being the center gotcha. of the story. And, and the four of us on this call, we know as black people in America, we are not the center of the American story. We've never experienced at all being the center of the American story. Good point. In my series, we're going to explore what it might look like if we became the center of the American story. Okay. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love that. That's what I love about it. If you recall, when we spoke the first time, when we learned that you were becoming on the show, I kind of talked about that briefly, but I find it an extremely interesting read. Like I said, the, the angle you come from, especially how you set up each character's backstory. I love the way you introduced that. And thank you. It followed a chronological line, so to speak. Well, I have to admit, I did like the aspect of Jerome starting out as not this uber successful person. Right. Because a lot of times when we look at images of black America, we always have to project this uber successful individual. We romanticize it. Yeah, exactly. It has to be the American dream. It has to be the LeBron, the Michael, the Tiger. It can't be the everyday. And in your case, use the use of Jerome as one of the characters. So that was that was nice to see, especially starting with him with the lights about to get cut off trying to figure out how to pay the bills and being laid off. So I think that was very relatable. I appreciate that. Yes, because those are real issues. Yeah, that scene in that book, I pulled that right out of my life. That's a real scene in the life of Theodore Payne Cummings. Interesting. So I tend to, um, like most people, process things through um, the lens that's you know, closest or most dear to me. So the first thing I thought about after reading the excerpt was education, right? Because I work in education and I'm passionate about education. So the first thing I thought about was what if there was no Brown versus the Board of Education? So with you removing them from the center, we have no more separate but equal. So I, I I had to sit and think about that a while. In essence, we lost our village. Mm. And so in this story, you give us our village back, right? Mm. I you know what, sis, you're making me think about it even harder. Not, not only do I reprovide the village, and you'll see this in book two, we change the game in education completely, right? Mm-hmm. African-minded people think differently and learn differently. Now, we adapt to this Western learning system, Right. But it's but it's but it's us mm. adapting. Right. W- one of the things I'm excited to explore in book two, which I'm writing now, is how the education system completely changes and changes in a way to favor us, changes in a way to favor brown people, changes in a way to favor Asians. Right. I was like, I was just recently thinking about exactly how to do that. And that is something that does not currently exist for anybody other than folk of European derivation in America. Interesting. Okay. So with that being said, as my co-host will tell you, I'm a bit of a devil's advocate. Uh, It's a a role that I enjoy on this show. Oh, you can depend on it like the first and the 15th. (laughs) (laughs) I promise you it's coming. So you definitely addressed the relatable aspect when you talked about how it could be uh, right. You could take your story and apply it to what uh, common activities right now, being in the middle of the uh, George Floyd murder and and having the conversations now about being complicit and all of these other aspects of, of common topics that we're dealing with right now. 
So when I think about those things, where I draw the line in some aspects, right, because now they're talking about defund the police and uh, a number of other topics. So does it have to be to that extreme to where we have to mobilize or eliminate them in order for us to move forward as people? Or within your book and within your series, are we having conversations about true strategies and true methodologies that'll truly change, right? When we talk about that with education, we talk about that with society, are you beginning to address, right, real strategies that'll work within a society that's not isolated, that we do have to work with each other? Are some of those things transferable to a reader to where I can say, hey, I know this is science fiction, but this is something probably I can glean from and work with in my everyday life at home, at work and within society. Yeah, I, I, I hear that question. And, and my 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 first answer was almost no. Right. But then I, I took a second to really think about it. The idea of slumber, one of the core ideas of slumber is to have time to be isolated away from white supremacist actions and ideology and, you know, and systems. Right. Mm-hmm. That level of isolation can't really exist with, you know, 200 plus, you know, million white people walking around because as a function of who they are ethnically and culturally, they keep and maintain white supremacist systems in place. That's, that's what it is. Having said that, however, I've often looked at the fact that there are enough black people in this country to, and I don't want to use this word own, but definitely to make up the majority in two or three states in America. Mm. If you look at it, even in the state of Georgia or in the state of Maryland, and I'm from D.C. originally, there are no black majorities in any state in the country. There could be. There absolutely could be. We have the numbers to do it, right? But that has not yet existed. So imagine, imagine a coordinated effort if, you know, 45 million black people said, you know what, we're going to own... North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. We're going to own these three states. We're going to own all the, all the levers of government. We're going to own the judicial system in all three states. We're going to own all of the trade coming in and out of those states because those are ports that they all have substantial ports. We're going to own all of the major ways to make money, all of the government contracts. We're going to own it. And, and the way we're going to do it is to massively move as many of us as possible to these three places. So that, that's sort of a far out way to get there. But that answers your question with respect to, is there a way to use a lot of the things that I talk about, a lot of the systems that I present while still living in the United States as it's currently constituted? Well, and I get it because I've had a homogenous upbringing. I, I think Carlos and Quina, we experienced the, the all black elementary, the all black middle school, the all black high school in Louisiana. Yeah, but Dr. Johnson, I think that the point that he just made was really spot on because think about it. If you had streams of African American, Latinos, you know, black and brown people all gathering into this state, taking our collective buying power right. and just compiling it across three or four states and just make that ours. Now, naturally, it's going to be some separation there because we can act like it don't exist, but the phrase white flight doesn't exist for no reason. So when a, an influx of African-American and Latino-American people start to move into these communities, that's going to push those people out, which is going to then transfer that leverage 
to those people in that community. Right. And and quite frankly, the Latinos have figured it out, right? Mm-hmm. It's the reason California looks the way it does today. Exactly. It's the reason Texas looks the exactly. way. Exactly. They keep their village. Yeah. In 30 more seconds, Hispanics are going to own Texas and they go mess around and own Arizona. In a minute. Right. What do we own? Nothing. Yeah. That's a good point. But does it have to be to that scale? Can it be at the state scale? Because does it have to be at the state scale? Because there there are cities that we 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 dominate. There are a number of cities that we dominate. Yeah, but, Monroe, but you know what? Louisiana, my but, hometown. But we've seen we've seen man that first of all, as a people, we've absolutely perfected the city model. We've perfected the city model, right? But what we've also seen, Doc, is that the cities ain't enough. It's not mm-hmm. right. They're not enough. It's 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 not enough to own Baltimore. It ain't enough to own D.C. It ain't enough to own Houston. It ain't enough to own New Orleans. Right. We, we, we see what happened to New Orleans, a majority black city. Right. Here's what happened. As soon as, frankly, the you know, the white powers that be could do it. They moved as many black folk up out of New Orleans as possible to reclaim those. Spaces. Exactly. Gentrification. Exactly. The city approach is cool. But it's not enough. We have to own states at this point. And not only that, I think we have to also have the political capital to go along with that. Because just only things isn't enough. As you alluded to just a second ago, Dr. Johnson, say a place like your hometown, Monroe, Louisiana, Absolutely. where the population is 63% African-American. But those African-Americans aren't in position to make any kind of calls. We have a black mayor, but a black mayor isn't getting the job done. They're, they're not bringing in big businesses, you know, so businesses are leaving here. So that's putting a strain on the economy. So unemployment rates are climbing. So you, when you look at it, you have to have that political capital as well. And you know what? And, and, and let me tell you something, too, about these Republican governors that are governors of states with one or more black cities. Right. These cats absolutely have learned how to starve these cities. Exactly. They know how to starve a black city, right? Mm-hmm. They figured that shit out in the 80s. They perfected it in the 90s. And we are where we are today because of it. And they haven't called an audible. They run in the same play and have not called an audible to this day. Right. So this book was very fascinating to me because, again, I started to think about all of the events you know, that, that have occurred within several generations in our lifetime. What would our world look like without mass incarceration? You know, what would our world look like if if Harlem, you know, was able to flourish? Right. So what would Black Wall Street look like? What would Rosewood look like had it not been burned down? So, you know, in reading this book, I'm excited about this series because those are the things that start running through my mind. You know, so all of the ways that we've been impacted, you know, what would our lives look like without that? I'm I'm just excited. That's exactly right. And and Queen, you will absolutely get to see what happens with that. So book one takes place current times right now. Book two, which is the working title for book two, is called Awakening. And at some point in the story, the story shifts 80 years in the future. And at that 80 year point, we get to see what has happened to America, what has become of America with black, brown, and Asian people, frankly, not having to deal with systemic uh, white supremacy. What have they achieved over the next couple, three, four generations? And who are those new black people who have never um, had to deal with or live under 
white supremacy. And what are the cultural and economic implications of that now being the case over the years? Yeah, a lot changes. America remains the United States of America, but there are significant, significant changes. You've already heard me mention educational changes, economic changes happen in abundance. Let me tell you guys a story. I recently did a book club and the book club members were mostly white women. It was like, like two sisters and five or six white women. And I'd gotten word from one of my contacts in the book club, people you know, in the book club who read my book were very, very upset about the property transfer that happens in book one and continues in book two. And the idea of the property transfer is that, hey, these people aren't here anymore. They're immobilized. And we have this tremendous societal need to house people, to feed people, to, you know, get people back to work, get people educated. Mm. And so there's a literal transfer of wealth. Okay. As you can imagine, that was, you know, very upsetting to this group of educated white folk because the idea of them having to give up their property which itself is founded in theft, didn't make any sense to them. Wow. So that, that was the ladies at the book club. You're saying that they didn't understand that concept. Well, intellectually, of course, they understood it. But it, it, it upset them to have to read about something like that on the page. Yeah, it was very upsetting for them. Of course it did. Yeah, the fact that it, even contemplating it, right. that possibility... Right. You know, they threw up in their mouth a little bit. <laughs> I'm surprised if they didn't start crying. A white woman's tears are stronger than vibranium. Oh, wow. That was a word there. <laughs> Marvel <since>. Comics. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say that nobody cried. There, there may have been a few tears on that call. Maybe maybe one or two. Oh, man. So, and, and from my opinion of it, I, I love the story. I love the, the concept. However, uh, again, being devil's advocate and, and the... Uh, moderate voice on this this podcast it does bring to question do you believe we have to be at that extreme for us to flourish fantastic question i've been thinking about that very question for a little bit now and i actually said to the ladies because i I got a variation of that question I, i said to the ladies on the on the in the book club listen white supremacy which which is the issue it's the defining issue of our lifetimes and most people's lifetimes White supremacy can only be removed one of two ways, right? I'm going to modify that a little bit and add a third way. One way that white supremacy can be removed is if an overwhelming majority of white people, A, recognize it for what it is, and B, dismantle it. They created it. They need to be the ones to dismantle it. That would be a, a great, you know, possibly bloodless way to do that. A second way to, to, to dismantle or to do away with white supremacy is to have it forcefully dismantled. And that's the bloody way. Mm -hmm. The third way, and I wasn't willing to think about it in these terms before, but I am now. The third way to have white supremacy removed and dismantled in this country, frankly, is by divine intervention. Mm. However, anybody wants to define that God or Yahweh or Allah or whatever, you know, I'm saying the divine stepping in and saying, you know what, enough is enough. Let my people go. Amen. So with that being said, right, with all of the the activism and protests that we're seeing right now because of George Floyd, right, when you look out at most of the protest crowds, they're mostly young, white individuals that outnumber us often 10 to 15 to 1 at these protests. And and just to kind of give your opinion on on a current topic, do you believe what we're seeing now 
is that first way you discuss? I think it's a combination of number one and number three. I think it's a combination of them doing the heavy lifting to dismantle it, but doing it as a function of divine intervention. Mm. Something has pricked their hearts, y'all. Something has touched them in a way that they are motivated to A, recognize what it is, and B, do the work to dismantle it. It's almost as if they're afraid of something coming behind that, right? Now, let me be very clear. They ain't afraid of us. Exactly. We, we, we ain't the thing to be afraid of, mm-hmm. but they're afraid of something. And, and I said to a brother recently, I said, look, you know, I'm glad to see all the white folk doing all that work. It's their job. Like, it's their job to dismantle white supremacy. As black people, it's our job to fight for equality. That's our work, right? And we're very, very good at it. We've been doing it for over 100 years. But it's not our job to dismantle white supremacy. Y'all understand? That's, that's sort of a nuanced answer. You, you see the sort of the shades of gray right. that I'm, I'm putting there. Like, we, like within, a, within, within you know, the society, man, we, we got to fight for what we believe is ours. Absolutely. But we cannot dismantle Mm-mm. this motherfucker, man. Nah, we didn't put it in place. It's bigger than us. We didn't do that. Uh, now, I'm shocked Queena didn't jump in when you mentioned equality because her famous word is we shouldn't be asking for equality. We should be asking for what, Queena? Equity. Make me whole yeah. first. Well, you know what? And th- the road to freaking equality is paved with reparations. So I hear you. Well, sir, make sure you give us all your information. Tell people how they can get your book. Uh, tell them uh, your, your release dates, what platforms your book is on. Absolutely. And make sure you give them your social media information and, and tell them how to contact. Sure. So you can buy my book on my website. It's www.sleepersbooks.com. That's S-L-E-E-P-E-R-S books.com. If you buy your book from my website, I will sign it personally and send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Of course, my book is also available on Amazon. Um, um, it's under the author's name. That's me, Ted Cummings, T-E-D, Cummings, C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. And book one is called Slumber, S-L-U-M-B-R. Um, I'm very happy to tell you that the audio book will be ready by July. I'll do a big splashy ad thing to make sure that everybody knows about that. And book two, volume one, Awakening, will be available for Christmas purchases. Oh, wow. Busy guys. We ain't playing around, Doc. It's now or never. I like that. So do you have a Facebook page where they can go to find out more about you? Absolutely. So my, my Facebook page is Sleepers Books. Please like my page. I keep it pretty updated so you can get new information there as well. And of course, again, my website. So so really the Facebook page and, and the website are really the places that folk want to go to. Now, now Queenie, are you going to attack him for not having Instagram? Because she's been on me about not having Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> what does the community say about him not having? Well, you know what? If, well, if, you know what? I do have the Instagram for, for my Instagram. <laughs> oh, are. Dr. Justin, you know. <laughs> You know you're not going to live that one down, Doc. With no Instagram and no Twitter. I just don't use it as much as I use Facebook. You're the lone survivor. So let me ask you this. Is that just egg white or is that the egg yolk (laughs) on your face too? Uh, Look, he's still not answering to black Twitter. That's all I'm saying. But okay, but but Ted, you know about black Twitter though, don't you? Oh, yes. I'm I'm a card-carrying member. Wow. (laughs) See that? Me, me, Me too, my brother. I try to tell Dr. Johnson about the power of Black Twitter. I don't know what to do unless I wake up every morning and see what's trending to see what Black Twitter tell me is popping. Hey, I didn't elect them. I'm sorry. I didn't elect them. You poked that bell, Dr. Johnson. You did. (laughs) On purpose.
Right. And I'm I'm glad to say that today I joined Black Twitter in, in trolling uh Candace Owens. My my goal today was to was to get blocked by her. Uh so I'm 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 hoping <laughs> that she blocked me because I was wearing her out today. My Twitter <laughs> fingers went to work. We're gonna continue this into the next segment, but Carlos, let's give our, our guests an excellent outro. Oh yeah, man. You know, I would just like to say Dr. Cummins is um did I say Dr. Cummings? You did, but I, he I did. Shoot, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> we gonna speak it into well, existence. Well, a JD, a, a JD is a Jewish doctorate, so go ahead. Is a doctor. Right. I'm yeah. here for that. But seriously, though, <laughs> Mr. Cummings, we definitely appreciate you being a guest on our show. I was deeply honored that you took the time out of your busy schedule to grace us with your presence this evening. Your book, I just, I know it's gonna do well without a shadow of a doubt. Thank you. I appreciate that. It presents an interesting thought-provoking question for everybody to ponder. So I can't wait to see how well it does. I just imagine that the audio book sales are going to fly out the roof too, because as Queen would tell you, I'm not a reader myself, but I actually read yours, man. <laughs> no. I'm not. No. I'm not, a, I'm not a person that reads. You know, I read, of course. I'm not, you know, I don't. I know how to read. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, that's not a, pa- a, a, a pastime of mine. We get it. You're not an avid reader. We got it. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? But no, he be trying to, you know what I'm saying, like demonize me or something. You know? Right. Make it seem like I'm I'm, I'm this uh, Neanderthal or something. Uh, you did right. say you didn't watch the dude. Again, he trying to make I'm you out to be a knuckle-dragger. I got you. Oh, it's double team now. Yeah, I see that. Down to the low sloping brow and everything, huh? <laughs> so, Mr. Carlos, I got you, just... brother. I got Carlos, I got I... you, bro. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. I appreciate <laughs> that, man. Hey, let's just close out. We hope to see you back in December with book two of the series. Absolutely. Uh, so we can continue some of these conversations. And I'm excited, uh, right, because it is awakening. Uh, we'll have an, an excellent opportunity at that point to see if there's a parallel in society with all of these protests and everything that's going on. We'll get to see in, uh, in December with the release of that book, will America actually go through a, an actual awakening? So look forward to that. Absolutely. And listen, if it ever manifests, my brother, I'm just glad that I got milk. You hear me? Okay. Yes, ma'am. You should be. You should be. Melanin magic. That's I'm just it. glad that I got the secret hey, sauce. The, as the Christians Absolutely. say, we covered in the blood, huh, man? Amen. Yes. And the blood. Yes, indeed. The melanin and the blood. That's it. Oh, yeah, man. I have to say, it was quite refreshing, man, having a, a, a different point of view, a different tone of voice on with us and just getting a different perspective on things. And I'm anxious to see what kind of traction that Ted's book get, because I honestly like the idea behind the book and the perspective that he's pushing forth. You know, I, I want to see it do well. What do you guys think? Um, so I'm I'm glad that we made our first marker or we made history on chewing the fat with our first guest. It was great to have him on. I love the topic. Y'all know I was all in because I, I want to picture a world without the white man. I sound real hotel. Right <laughs> oh, well, let me let me let me correct you. It's not without, they're just asleep in the book. Well, they in, in the book of uh, my brother, you see. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 you be most nice when we record. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I go into Don't uh, edit that one out. Slumber. Know, <laughs> like the name of the book series. You slumber. go into slumber. I go into um, uh, you know, that character that Damon Wayne's had on 
on the living color, my brother. You see, what we want to do is homogenize. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. But you know yeah. what? It's hard for me to see past Home and the Clown. Oh, though. yeah. Beyond his best character. No. Homie, don't play that. <laughs> That's kind of what his book took me to. Yeah. Well, so, okay. Then I guess in, in the vein of homie, don't play that. <laughs> I, I think that. Here we go. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you knew it was coming as I did. Yes. So here we are. We've reached that point in the show where. Well, let's talk about the platitudes first. Uh, I love the fact that it's a black author that's doing a, a, a series, right? That he's he's thought well into the future of, of where he wants to take us on this science fiction journey. So I love that aspect. And let's go back to what you said about him as a person. That was definitely a breath of fresh air to the show. Him and that Queen B argument was timeless, so I appreciate that. <laughs> you just like having some backup. That's all it was. <laughs> uh, one thing I do want to say, definitely go out and support the brother. Make sure you take a critical eye to whether you do audio or you order the book off of Amazon. And he, he told us how you can uh, get his book. But I'm excited and interested to see where the series goes, because it's one thing to say that someone is slumber. As you pointed out, Carlos is not an elimination of our white brethren, but just a slumber of our white brethren. So what I would like to see is a re uh, reconciliation. Right. How do you reconcile and bring those groups back together for the betterment of this nation? So that I'll be excited to see that. Uh, We've already had a uh, tacit agreement to have him come back in December when the second book in the series is released. So let's, let's see how we bring us back together, because as we know, it is science fiction. Uh, you have the opportunity to explore different ideas based upon the world that he puts together and the premises that he's using. But again, I I'm definitely interested in seeing how you bring us back together because we do have to learn how to live together as one humankind. Leave me in Wakanda. <laughs> yeah, but my thing is, I can imagine he's going to do it the same way we've been trying to do for years. He's going to try to, like, literally wake them up. Absolutely. And I get it, right? And, and that's a great analogy, Carlos, right? Being woke. I like that. Yeah. But yeah. oftentimes, <laughs> it falls on deaf ears, though, Dr. Johnson. That, that person has to be receptive. Well, I think that's a great transition, Carlos, into our subtopics for the week. I think that's a great opportunity to talk about the movements that is not only just a U.S. movement at this point. We're seeing conversations about racial uh, equality and diversity being had in London, uh, in the U.K., in Brazil, in Korea. I mean, I, I just have to sit and marvel at seeing Black Lives Matter in Korea. That's just it. That was that was fascinating. For me. No, what was fascinating to me, Dr. Johnson, was the fact that, and I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I, I, I try to kind of follow the new age rap, but I, it's hard for me to do. I can't do it. The moment rap, I can't really get with it. <laughs> but I was actually quite surprised and humbled and in awe of this young man when Lil Baby dropped this song two days ago called The Bigger Picture. Was it Lil Baby or The Baby? It's Lil Baby. Okay. He's the Atlanta rapper growing the dreads now, the skinny guy. Okay. But when he dropped a, he, he dropped a song called The Bigger Picture two days ago with a video with him in the community marching at a rally in Atlanta wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. Mm -hmm. And I find it coincidental that when he released that video two days after that, no, I'm sorry, one day after that, he dropped that video. Someone got killed in Atlanta, mm. running away from police officers, running away. I, they shot him running away. I want to make sure mm. we... Go ahead, Queen. I just want to make sure we say his name 
His name is Rashad Brooks is his name. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I ain't say his name, but yeah, they shot Mr. Brooks running away. Now, I'll be he did have, according to the report, in the struggle with the police officers, he did get one of their tasers. And as he was running away, he turned and aimed the taser toward the police officer, which is what the officer said compelled him to use deadly force in the first place. Yeah, I just, I can't agree that a device that's labeled as a non-lethal weapon, you look up tasers, that's the whole purpose of officers having them, that they have an opportunity to subdue a suspect with non-lethal force. That a device that's that's explicitly labeled as such justifies you shooting someone that's running away. I don't. There's no way to justify it. I, I just I, I don't often give my explicit personal opinion, but in this matter, there's no conversation. There's no justification for killing someone that has a non-lethal weapon. No way, no how. You're absolutely correct. And that statement was actually affirmed by Atlanta Mayor Keisha Bottoms in her press conference. She promptly addressed the matter and came with swift judgment in terms of terminating that an employee immediately. But as far as if he'll face charges, that is yet to be disclosed. But I read it this afternoon that he'd been charged on homicide. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Queen. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the one incident that truly brought us to this table as far as us talking about these worldwide protests is the the murder and, and i don't even talk about the accidental the police involved uh, no the murder of george floyd brought us to this point and to just witness that again right even within this climate of change and people actually having real conversations about how to change this country for the better these things aren't imagined and I know people that brought up statistics. I was looking at Fox the other day. They were bringing up numbers of, okay, interracial murders and the, how there are, are more Caucasians being killed by police officers than African-Americans being killed by police officers. Here's my one point about all of it. I don't care if it happened one time, two times, three times. The fact that it happens at all is one too many. That's it. Period. That's it. And there's no, and I love what Tim Scott said, the South Carolina Republican senator. He gave his testimony, and you've seen many of us do it as black men. We've talked about our testimony of how we've had to live and exist in this country with that hanging over our head, that that's a reality for us. And even that Republican senator who was stopped by Capitol Police had to convince them that he was even a senator and that he's been stopped on six separate occasions where his colleagues, have not been stopped once. Once. I'm not even a conversation of, hey, I was speeding this one time. No, I haven't been stopped once. And what that conversation would look like for that colleague, if that colleague gets stopped and he tells them I'm a senator and pulls out their Senate credential. It comes down to one simple fact for me, and, and we're probably going to reiterate th this throughout the show. I don't want special privileges. I don't want to be treated different. What I want is to be treated equally. fairly. Fairly. Therein lies the question around the title of the episode. Why is our skin such a sin? What is the big issue with this particular sect of people among all the race of people in the world? African-Americans get it the hardest. Why? Man, I think that D.L. Hughley coined it perfectly. He said the worst place for a black person is in the imagination of a white person. 
And that is because they have imagined us as inherently criminal, right? So when if you look at us and you feel and think that we are inherently criminal, everything that they do is predicated on that false narrative. And so they have taught themselves that false narrative. They have taught their children that false narrative. Which then skews their perspective of the, the, the individuals in general. Exactly. It's like the ill preconceived notions forms your opinion of that person before they even meet us. Exactly. You know, a, a white man that has murdered a known murderer. Again, I'm stealing from D.L. Hughley. A known murderer is treated better than a, a black man that is presumed innocent. Dylan Roof killed nine people. They took him to Burger King. They took him to Burger King. So not only was he captured alive, but they was concerned that he was hungry and took him to Burger King. <laughs> there, there, I mean, there's that, that is the most on. absurd shit in the world. <laughs> that is the most absurd. I cannot. It's insulting. Hey, insulting. That's revolting. I got another one in 2015 when those motorcycle gangs had that shootout in Waco. In Waco nine people were killed. They set them on the curb like kindergartners. Not one person was beat. No mace came out. No nothing. They treated them with more dignity and humanity than they do. The average African-American walking down the street. Right. We never get that. And y'all going to love this just because I wanted to see what happened with those men. All charges were dropped in 2019. So you mean to tell me y'all can have a shootout, kill nine people. And all charges have been dropped. No one is going to be held accountable for those nine murders. This is a mirror. Even if it was simply firing a weapon in a public vicinity, in a public place. Right. Right. They got them on nothing. Nothing. In the age of cameras. In the age, come and on. Cell phone. And, you know, we just got to put it in people's lap. If that was a gang shootout and it was Bloods and Crips, Every last person that would have been charged, whether you participated or not. And, and let's just say, and you know, it's not a con conversation about condoning any action. We're not saying, you know, the Bloods and Crips should get off like the gangs did. Those gangs need to be in jail because I don't feel safe. My family doesn't feel safe. Well, where is the concern for public safety had I been at exactly. that restaurant? Had I been in that neighborhood? I, I have exactly. an issue with that. I have an issue with that exactly. as a taxpayer. I really issue. Happened right at, in, in a parking lot with Twin Peaks. Wow. <laughs> I know. Trust me. I, I, hey, I living in the great state of Texas, that was a hot topic for a while. And there are some deeper issues with that one, right? Like with witnesses and lack of witnesses. And yeah, uh, that's a deeper conversation. But but it needs to be I had, do. though. Because I'm with Queen right yeah, now. How can how can a group of gentlemen that have an appetite for destruction the way they have and display a blatant disregard for human life in the way that they did get treated with more dignity and respect than the average African-American that is highly educated. That's right. And gainfully employed. We have to live in fear and we're upstanding citizens. And that's not right and it's not fair. And I'm going to tell you right now, through all of the subjugation and torment 
that we've had to endure in excess of 450 years now. It doesn't matter what manner of animal you're speaking of when threatened. They're going to attack. I'm sorry. That's just the only logical outcome when you subjugate a people. Mm. I mean, what type of response can you ever expect? That's right. You expect us to just, you know, live in fear for the rest of our lives. Just wake up, going to work, trying to be an upstanding citizen and uphold our place in society. But we have to live in fear and teach our children about these atrocities that they're going to have to face when they grow up and interact in the world. And it doesn't sit well with me. It's in the pit of my stomach every night. I, I agree with you, Carlos. I agree with you about the fight back conversation i think for me it's more of a, a conversation about how you fight back right and let's get into some tough topics let's go ahead and make this uncomfortable we, we've done this on chewing the fat so i don't agree I'm with old girl that they showed the video last week they lucky that what we're looking for is equality instead of revenge man i love her video i have watched that over and over and over again who's the young lady i have to admit i haven't seen it oh man i'm gonna have to send it to you dr johnson uh, she's the one that that also made the the analogy about monopoly and this is not no ignorant african american female either she was very articulate. She spoke very eloquently, oh, but passionately. And you can hear the so, conviction in her voice. It was so very powerful. powerful. So powerful. Uh, yeah, very powerful. What was the theme of her speech? Basically, what she was saying was, you know, she likened it to us playing a Monopoly game, right? Ah, uh, so okay. Is that one. She said, imagine you're playing Monopoly, but you have no pieces on the board, no property on the board. No money. No money on the board, right? So, you know, how can you play when you have absolutely nothing? And she also, you know, took one of the things I like to say all the time. And then you change the rules when, when we finally figure out a way to maneuver and build wealth. Black Wall Street in Tulsa and build our own communities, Rosewood in Florida, you know, you burn that down, you murder us. So how can we win if you change the game? And so that is pretty much the gist of what she was saying. And then she also took what Trevor Noah said, and I absolutely love this because this brought it home for me. So there is a social contract, right, between society and law. So you broke the social contract when you murdered Mr. Floyd. So if the people who uphold the law break the social contract, why should the people uphold it? Thank you. So that's not to excuse looting, but that is the perfect justification. Why? The social contract is broken. I wouldn't say justification, but it, it gives an explanation. If you, if you get to kill people, it's broken. And I, I'm with I, her. It's broken. Yeah, I think you guys know me. Uh, you know what's coming. I already know what's coming, but it can be far worse than looting, Dr. Johnson, and you know it. I, I can't, I, in no shape, form, or fashion, because one, the one aspect of it, when it, when you talk about the looting, the looting never takes place in the so-called neighborhoods of the people that they're looking to hurt. It happens in our neighborhood. Those black businesses, those black business owners, those minority business owners. Yes, I know some Targets and some Walgreens, 
but you don't know if that's a minority franchise owner in that neighborhood. So Target don't franchise. Well, exactly. Even that Wendy's that was burned down in Atlanta, uh, that was more than likely a minority franchisee. So what difference does it make? That's not that, us doing I, that I, anyway. I that's a monkey wrench in the program, man. Used as a distraction to detract you from the real message, man. No, well, but what's really happening, which is people actually banding together in unity, standing up in protest, peaceful at that. Well, but they want to detract from that. So so they're saying, well, oh, peace. they're looting this and the other. Well, Think about no, it. No, no, no. Think of, go back to every single major protest. Every single major protest, they always came with looting. Martin Luther King, did Martin Luther King, nonviolent. You can't say that about the civil rights. You cannot say that about the civil rights movement. By and large, the civil rights movement, led by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, was a nonviolent in the face of dogs, in the face of fire hoses. In the face of billy clubs being beaten, jailed, it was nonviolent. It was. And I, I truly agree with that method. No, I ain't saying nobody that marched with them did it. But are you telling me that no looting or vandalism took place nowhere around during that time period? Come on, man. Mm -mm. Thank you. Because the Watts riots was in 65. Yeah, but you got to realize that had nothing to do with the civil rights movement, Dr. Martin Luther King, or that group or that organization. Nor did them chicks who sprayed Black Lives Matter on that Starbucks. But it still happened. And that's a tactic. That's a tactic that aims that anger and aggression back towards African Americans. So we the hamster in the treadmill, man. We spinning our wheels. True. But the Watts riot happened because of something that happened in Watts. And civil rights was the undergird of all of that. But I will never, I, and I'll, I'll say it again, I will never say that there's some righteous anger when it comes to burning and looting. That'll never be, we can, we can agree to disagree on No, that. no, we can agree because I'll never justify it as well. But I'm saying you have to expect some yeah, type of reaction. Go. Einstein says every action creates an equal and opposite reaction. Did he not? So what do you expect to happen? True. However, eye for an eye, we'd all be blind. We've heard that one before. She also made the point that how could you expect poor people not to take an opportunity if a window is broken to go in there and get some food? When they don't have nothing to begin when with. When they don't have nothing. They're out of options anyway. Right. See, but I, I, growing up poor, I, I can't, I can't. And agree you know with. what? Growing up poor, I can't agree either, Doctor Johnson. I'll tell you right now, and I know it sounds strange. I endured the same thing. I come from dire straits, Doc. I grew up in an area where you had to go next door and humble yourself and knock on them people's door and say, "Excuse me, but do y'all have a pack of hot dogs y'all can borrow? <laughs> can I borrow some sugar? Anything? You know, you got to humble yourself and go to another man and say, "Hey, can you help me?" Been there. That's crippling. Absolutely, been there. To a prideful person, that's crippling, man. Hey, I've had a job since the age of eight. I get it. But I endured that, and like you said, I swallowed my pride and I did it, it because I would rather do that than steal because that's the integrity that I have. Exactly. But everybody is not like that, and you have to live and let live. Hey, mama would have beat the bricks off me, too. This is true, but that's absent from the household these days. I, I don't want to escape. That's been deemed criminal, just like everything else that's in society. Mm, that's a whole nother conversation. So, to kind of round out our subtopic, I, I did want to discuss something that's been born of this movement. And that's the conversation around defund the police. So it depends on who you talk to or where you listen or get your information from uh, as to what that actually means. So in some instances, some are just saying that police departments need to be restructured 
and that there needs to be additional training and resources brought about for the community, not just a policing of the community, but a resource to the community, which is what happened in Camden, saw a significant reduction in uh, violent crimes, uh, better relationships with the community. And I think that's the model when we're having these conversations about what really needs to happen. Police officers aren't particularly trained, and I wouldn't even say particularly, they aren't trained to deal with a mental health uh, crisis or an individual going through a mental health episode. They're not trained to deal with an individual that's going through a drug overdose or, or, or withdrawal. They're not trained to deal with domestic violence issues or domestic situation now that's because the bulk of their training is devoted to weapons training and combat training and that's been the argument that they've been militarized that's what formulates their mentality i do so they're reacting instinctively right that they've been ill-equipped to deal with the change in society and the change in values of our society and i think now is a significant point in the history and the change of our values of our society and that the the police has the responsibility to adapt to that change in society and that changing values of that society. Because I, I'll tell you what has been the most impressive sight to see is that when you see a march on television, often 15 and 20 to one, you see all Caucasian brethren out there marching. And, and I think that's been a true change in this whole conversation that if there's, and, and Martin Luther King said it the best, if there's injustice for one, then there's injustice for all. So, so what? We supposed to get him a cookie? <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. What? I mean, I mean, what? 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 Why are we clapping? What? Are, I'm not are clapping. We, are, are we applauding them for having decency? Uh, are we saying as far as the Camden Police Force? No, you, you. When you mentioned that the 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 white people out there marching, what what? That's what I'm trying to see. What they get a cookie? <laughs> Scooby snack, oh man. Oh no. I get you now. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's been overall change, right? And each of these movements from abolition to the end of uh, to civil rights has taken the majority to understand the plight of black communities. And in this moment in time, that plight is clearly understood. Yeah, but I, I don't think that they should get applause for that. You don't get applause. I didn't clap. They don't get recognition. You don't get applause or recognition for doing the right thing. Yeah, Queen. Can't disagree there. Now, I have to admit, I see where Dr. Jones come from. I don't think he was giving a standing ovation or anything like that for their efforts, but I think what he was doing was just merely acknowledging that even they acknowledge that enough is enough, man. I mean, come on. A society can't function if we continue going down this road, down this rabbit hole. Right. Seriously, something has to change because what's been taking place is, and the reason why more and more people are starting to take action is because there's been a disruption in the harmonious environment. That's the problem. It's uncomfortable now. Right. We have a choice. Do you accept and move forward that the moment has finally happened, it's been acknowledged, and there's been a consensus built around it? Or do we waste our time chastising them for waiting so long to come to this point? What do we do? I don't know. That that just put a, 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 I don't know. So Black Lives Matter was happening before they joined the fight. True. So it didn't start to move forward because they joined the fight. 
That's what it sounds like y'all saying. Like they came to the table. Now we can do it. No, no. What we were saying is, Queen, you're accurate. I'll, I'll, I'll cop to that. You're accurate. You are accurate. I am saying that because if they're the majority of the population, you can't do anything without the majority of the population. I am saying that. So you're right. I am guilty of that comment. Wow. Yeah, they 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 don't they don't get a cookie from me for that though. So how does it taste, Doctor Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to know how it tastes. I can't believe it. I, I've been stumped. Well, I mean, it, it's, I have. Why? Right, it, it's an obvious. It's an. It's, that's an obvious one. And I'd be. I, I, I mean, but wasting my time. I didn't argue that. Yeah. Realistically, I'm just. I'm in periodation right now. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> that that she she won that argument so easily. <laughs> The way you conceded, yes. I, I I mean Yeah, she won that argument so easily. And because it uh-uh, hail to the queen, her man. As Ted Cummings put it earlier in the show, there's only one queen bee. I'm just saying. Oh, oh. Now, now, now that was below the belt, Dr. Johnson. That was below the belt. Now, yeah, and I wanted to address that with him, but I'm not going to digress. You know what I'm saying? Hey, don't poke the beehive. Right. And I, hey, they I'm already right. don't want her to play Storm and Marvel. Don't poke the beehive. I'm definitely not a part of the beehive. So she can be a, her queen bee. But I will say this in every hive, there are many bees. But there can be only one queen. Did you know that? <laughs> no. In every so, in every hive is only one queen. Carlos, I think we're the hive. I'm just saying. There, there you go. Hey, the worker bee. I, Wait a I minute. Hold, 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 hold on now. I'm starting to take offense. You have. I ain't no damn worker bee. You, you, you making me out like I'm a worker bee. I said we the hive. You know what I'm saying. Her comment was. In every hive, there can only be one queen. I'm just telling you, dog. I'm just telling you. There's no king in the hive. Hey, blame the Discovery Channel. (laughs) 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 So I am happy we could be a little lighthearted on such a a serious topic. But I I do think that, right, levity is always called for, right? Especially in in the midst of serious conversation. And speaking of Dr. Justin, I seriously, seriously, no, I'm not going to even say that because I don't hate to interrupt. Sorry, Doc. No, go ahead. But speaking of comedy or levity, Dave Chappelle actually weighed Ooh, in on. on the particular issues right now with the- I haven't heard it. What was it, Queen? It's called 846. 846, Dr. Johnson, did you see it? I watched it like four times. Oh, my God. Yes, I it's did, too. So I did. Good. It was so- Good and so passionate. Hey, well, well, inform me. What was it, Queen? Um, so Netflix released a special for Dave Chappelle, but they put it on YouTube instead of on Netflix because it's free. And so it's almost thirty minutes. It's about twenty-seven minutes, and he kind of did what that young lady did, but he he took more time to do it. He literally breaks down the reaction from George Floyd's murder, mm-hmm. and he addresses so many things. One of the high points he addressed was uh, Don Lemon. Everybody saw Don Lemon called out the, the celebrities, and he made such a good point. Dave Chappelle said, don't nobody want to hear from celebrities right now. 
It is the streets that are reacting. You don't want to hear what I have to say as a celebrity. You know, the people are speaking right now. And so he just, uh, he addressed, oh man, it was so moving. I will definitely have to check it out. Because I tell you, I was watching George Floyd's funeral. And the one thing that just, that made me turn the TV off was on CNN, they were calling out the celebrities that were there at the funeral. I turned it off. I turned it off. That that bugged me to no end. Yeah. Talk about his sister, his brother, yeah. his children, his family. Yeah. I don't care what celebrity decide to tie his name to a popular movement. Talk about his family. Yeah, now now's not the time for celebrities. No. Listeners, if you have not watched Dave Chappelle Special Man, please go watch it. It's called 846. It's on YouTube. It does have some vulgar language. So if you have your restrictions on YouTube, you will have to remove your YouTube restrictions. Those of us that are parents. <laughs> yeah. Huh, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up, Carlos, man. That, that yeah, was so powerful. I'll definitely powerful. check that out. I, did, I wasn't was aware. Powerful. I'll check that out tonight. So uh, back to our, our next subtopic. We were going to talk about being complicit. In the wake of all of this, a lot of organizations are having conversations about systemic issues that allow racist ideas and racist policy to remain in place. And there are a number of areas that we could really go with this, microaggressions, a number of different topics. But what we chose to go with today was being complicit. And that's been a conversation that's been brought up in a number of areas, because whereas we may not know. There are a few times within American history where you see the curtains really pulled back on racism. The reason why uh, there are very few times you see the curtain pulled back is because you have a number of people that are complicit in these actions. For instance, Wells Fargo, when they got sued for their policies of how they gave subprime loans at a higher rate to minorities who had the same credit scores of their Caucasian counterparts who did not receive a subprime loan and you're the individual in the room or you're complicit, even though there may have been someone that led that process, you're complicit if you knew about it and said nothing. And that's what people mean when they bring up these conversations about systemic racism, because people are a lot more comfortable with being complicit than they are with challenging the status quo when they know something is a racist policy. Now, what they mean by systemic racism is the whole social construct has binded together in force against minorities, more specifically African-Americans. Because when you think about every fabric of your existence, you have to interact with some kind of public or government entity. So all of these systems in place are supposed to be accessible to all, but not equally accessible to all and therein lies the issue because as you said dr johnson with predatory lending is what you were referring to earlier Mm -hmm. that was just one instance you know and yeah everyone expressed their disgrace with what was going on and was apologetic about it but at the end of the day that was all smoke and mirrors to me simply because of the systemic racism that we have to endure it's set up for us to fail it is designed for us to struggle It was that way in the formation of this very nation that we call our country. So how are we supposed to win, like Queen said, if they the one who make the rules and change them whenever the hell they feel like it? Man, I'm a part of a black student affairs group. And 
uh, it is higher education professionals from institutions across the nation. And one of the things that we've been doing in the group is mentioning our institutions that have made statements about diversity and inclusion, and more importantly, the institutions that have not made statements, right? So there's that silence that we're talking about, Dr. Johnson. And a lot of them, I call them my colleagues, they are really distraught to find out that they work for places that have been silent about this. These are people that you work with every day. I don't see how they're surprised. I don't. They are. Um, I would like to say that where I work, we published a statement. I'm proud to say that I had a hand in helping to draft it. And I'm, I'm glad to work at a place that not only made a statement, but we also put out a call to action on how our system is going to address diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what steps we're going to take across all 12 of our institutions to address these issues and to make it an ongoing conversation. The data's been here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? When we talk about in modern times, uh, when we look at the success and and the unemployment rate of African-Americans, the educational rates of African-Americans, the high school to prison pipeline. The research studies are out there. I, I want to hear solutions. And again, uh, one thing I've loved about this show, Chewing the Fat, we talk about solutions. And, and I think step one in the segment that we're discussing is being complicit because there's no way to come up with solutions until the majority stops being complicit in a lot of these actions. The world is watching. And I already kind of know the direction you're going with it because I would say that step two of that would be education simply because you know i think a lot of times people are oblivious people are because when you look at it statistically the intelligence rating in this country has been suffering from massive degradation for generations in the wake of all the racial injustices that we're facing nowadays we have to be more educated to to where we can be more aware of things that's going on and more aware of our rights and how they apply in each and every situation that we're subject to throughout our lives. But, you know, another thing is that when we encounter this injustice, to be unified in our stance against that injustice. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot of nowadays. You know, people are starting to band together because they want to stand together and say, no more. No more. No longer will we stand by on the sidelines and just watch social injustice continue to take place, disrupting society. Because whether I want to be in the game or not, I'm forced to be because now my harmonious lifestyle has been disrupted. I have no more peace. Yep. So I just want to wrap up. I just want to wrap up uh, the complicit conversation by sending an old school shout out to Ben and Jerry's. Man, because when I say of all the organizations that made a statement that is that were not complicit, Ben and Jerry's uh, is invited to the cookout. The ice cream people? <laughs> Man, Ben and Jerry's is invited to the cookout. Not only did Ben and Jerry's put out a detailed statement, they also listed an action plan and a list of demands to which they feel 
what Congress needs to do and what the president needs to do, man. When I tell you Ben and Jerry's went hard, Ben and Jerry's went hard. They've always been socially Wow. Conscious. That's right. The ice cream the people. ice cream people. Mr. Ice Cream Man. Yeah, the ice cream man. <laughs> clean on the inside, clean on, on the outside. outside. <laughs> hey, where I might not agree with everything they listed, I applaud the effort, I applaud the conversation, and I applaud the continuation of this process by saying, here's what needs to happen. Instead of just saying, be angry, or I support you, no, here's some things we think need to happen. I, I truly applaud that. It's not about just calling out the problem. It's about identifying solutions. solutions. Yes. You know, what are we going to do next? Right. Yes. How do we overcome right. it? In my Dr. Johnson voice. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Just to recap, they not only did they, did they call for police reforms, they called for Congress to pass legislation. They called for the, the Department of Justice to re reinvigorate the Civil Rights Division. And then to top it all off, they released a new flavor of ice cream called Justice Remixed. And it is uh, cinnamon and chocolate with gobs of cinna cinnamon dough and spicy fudge brownies. So, man, again, Ben and Jerry's, you invited <laughs> to the cookout. Uh, Queen's cookout. Remember that? No, 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 no. That's the black delegation. <laughs> oh, no. I was going to say the black delegate. <laughs> yep. Who I didn't yep. vote for. I'm just saying. That is the black delegation's cookout. <laughs> And I also want to say that this week, the black delegation decided to give away Ben Carson and Candace Owens. We don't even want no trade for them. Yeah. You just oh, them. I didn't think you were going to go there. Did you not think I was going to bring up Candace Owens? First of all, she is a tool of the patriarchy. <laughs> and... <laughs> Carlos, I hear you trying to hold it over there. Let her aim. I, I, I knew it was coming. I'm sorry, let her finish. I, I knew the all, She is a tool of the patriarchy. And they use her to try to get to black people. They use her to try to get to us. But I will not allow her. I, I've also uh, deemed her black Karen. So I will not let Black Karen continue. Y'all let. I'm sorry, Queen. I'm sorry. Y'all let me. I'm sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Queen, but how you just finish this call this woman Black Karen like that? I will not. I will not let Black Karen continue. <laughs> to spew her vile points of view on the people. Her rhetoric is so dangerous and egregious. So what she's been saying, Carlos, is she doesn't want to make Mr. Floyd a martyr. Wow. She doesn't want to make him a martyr for the black community because he has a past. His past has nothing to do with the eight minutes and 46 seconds that that cop had his knee on his neck. I agree. Right. Yeah, and man. so by, you know, trying to dehumanize him, that's a common tactic, right? Exactly. So she tries to dehumanize oh, yeah. him. And then by dehumanizing him, if I can change your viewpoint, 
then his exactly. murder is easier to stomach because yeah. now you you think he's a you criminal, discredited him right you can discredit him and then the people say well he deserved to die exactly and that and that's a horrific aspect and, wow, and man, listeners man. i just want y'all to know that i trolled her for two days hoping that she blocked me <laughs> but she did and and listeners i i i, I want to let you know that i tried to talk her out of it <laughs> so please go to ben carson What's your specific issue? You help me understand. He's just stupid. What did he do in particular? He's stupid. That's an insensitive word. We're going to shy away from the word stupid. <laughs> I can't get on board with calling someone stupid, especially someone that's that's actually, you know, active in the public eye like that. I mean, they can't be all that stupid. But, like, can you give them another and, name? And a former brain surgeon. But you still need to define it. Please he define basically it said that black people need to stop being upset and there is no systematic racism. He is another tool of the establishment and the patriarchy. So I call it the James Brown syndrome, and I, I'll get to that in a second. Because uh, I think most people don't know, uh, you, if you saw the James Brown movie, he was a Republican, that a lot of black men from that era that had to pull themselves up by their own bootstrap uh, have have some of those similar views. Uh, I won't defend Ben Carson from those aspects because some of the things are, are not defensible. But I will say from this standpoint that oftentimes uh, individuals of extraordinary talent, and we can definitely say that James Brown was an extraordinary talent, that Ben Carson is an extraordinary talent. For those of you who may not know, he performed the, the first separation of conjoined twins. So that's that's where his industry fame comes from within health uh, healthcare industry. So, okay, again, I said he was brilliant. I, I just feel like, uh, you know, I don't know if he's had invasion of the body snatchers or, or what's going on because I don't understand how someone that brilliant now sounds like a bumbling buffoon. Well, Queen, and, and again, I'm gonna tell you. I, well, Doctor Johnson, I hate to cut you off, but Queen, ahead, I'm, gonna ahead, tell you, I'm gonna tell you what it is, Queen. It goes back to the reason why I entitled the episode "Sins of Our Skin." Why should he feel compelled to go along to get along in the first place? For all your criticisms, you have to live and let live. That man is just doing what he feels he need to do to make it in society. Now, I don't agree with that, and you don't either, obviously, but that's what he chooses to do. I'm not a bootlicker, and I never have, never will be. Right. But certain people choose to do the dog and pony show, to go along, to get along. I've never been one of those people because having a strong self-identity or self-awareness means more to me than to compromise myself in that regard because I won't be able to function that way because in the back of my head, it will bother me. It will fester. It's just sad because to hear this man now and to know that he was such an accomplished neurosurgeon is just sad. It's just sad to hear the nonsense that comes out of his mind. And, and, and again, that's how he, that, those are his views. It's no different than that, uh, that old black uncle that was on the porch you may no, not agree no. with him, but you mm -mm. still loved him. Nope. <laughs> Again, uh, the black delegation traded Ben Carson and Candace Owens this week. Oh, oh, and let's not forget Terry Crews. We just threw him in there on GP. He can go too. And Carla, if you don't mind me transitioning. So on Chewing the Fat, we like to talk about solutions, right? 
And the one thing about those solutions, and we're talking about social injustice, is education and legislative acts, right? Because we can talk to we're blue in the face about what these things have done and how they perpetuate hate. But how do you change that? I know definitely for me is education and opportunities to education. No one wants you to give you anything free, Bernie Sanders, <laughs> but allow me access to it to where I can educate myself, get a skill, get a trade, where I can take care of my family, where I can, and Booker T. Washington said it best, that I build a trade to where I can pass down to my children and my grandchildren, and they can fend for themselves, right? To be a taxpayer instead of a tax burden. That's all most individuals want the opportunity to do. A couple of things have been passed uh, since Mr. Floyd's murder. So we've had some racist statutes removed, the mayor of Louisville suspends the no-knock warrants. I don't know what that means, but I'm just looking again at legislation and things that have been passed. So here's, here's the tragedy behind that, and I'm glad there was a legislative action that covered that. Not only were they at the wrong house, but the individual they were looking for had already been arrested. So when they did a no-knock warrant, they went into someone's house who was a licensed firearm uh, holder, right? Had a concealed carry, all of those aspects. You, for instance, you come into my house now, you know, right? And you don't knock and I don't know who you are and you're kicking my door down. Yeah. You're going to get a couple of shots at you. I, I'll just, I, it's not something I probably should say openly, but that's the truth. You will, you'll get a couple of shots at you. How can you come to my house and kick the door in? I'm supposed to know you're an officer of right. and you're kicking my door in. No. Do, do my rights as a human being become suspended because I suspended a crime? Our country was not built on that. And I challenge anyone to think that a founder would have thought any such activity would have been, okay, my constitutionalist. There have been several um, cities that have done things moving in the right direction, uh, legislative-wise and policy-wise, and policy -wise, uh, since... Uh, the murder of Mr. Floyd, man. And I'm just, I'm just glad to see cities doing the right thing. We didn't talk about Minneapolis deciding to not just defund their police department. They decided to uh, get rid of it. And a lot of people were saying, well, what's going to happen, you know, to the city if you get rid of the entire police department? So this is going to be interesting to see because I don't think I've ever seen a municipality dismiss their whole police department. Now, if they're saying they're going to restructure it, get rid of the police unions, I get that. There is no way that if you are a bad apple, as they like to say, that you should be protected in the same manner of someone that uh, made a mistake or it was truly an accident. It's not the same conversation. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is uh, yet another right wing tool of the patriarchy. One bad apple doesn't spoil the bunch. And I just want to say that that is not scientifically true. One bad apple does spoil the barrel. So guys, this week in excellence, whose turn is it? Dr. Johnson, I think it's you. Oh, hell no. Uh-uh, it's your turn. <laughs> No, Queen, don't be trying to pass it off on me now. It's Dr. Johnson's turn. I, well, it is your turn. Hey, look at Shreveport. No. Shreveport people, no. It's Carlos' turn. Booker T. Washington, alumni. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but no, man, this week in excellence, man, I have to give it to Chris Cuomo. 
CNN contributor, Chris Cuomo, highlighted the systemic racism that's taking place in America today, you know, and he did it knowing that he was going to take heavy criticism. But, you know, he did it despite that, man. And I have to give him credit for everything he highlighted. He touched on things that we covered in gentrification about how African-Americans are less likely to be approved for a home than Caucasians, how Caucasians make nearly twice as much as African-Americans do, even if they have similar education. How African-American neighborhoods receive far less resources than Caucasian neighborhoods. He highlighted all of that, man. And I have to really commend him for his bravery in doing so because he really put his career on the line in highlighting a social injustice that's been plaguing American society for generations, man. And it's finally reached that point to where it's reached its boiling point. It's just time to stop. And even he felt it. And I just feel like I had to give him credit for putting his career on the line just to expose what we already knew in the first place. Chris Cuomo, you invited to the cookout. He invited to the cookout, Queen. And he can also bring his brother, too. We rocks with him. Well, here we go. Did he bring here up his time as a prosecutor who's in charge of the state government, right? That in most of these highly depleted black communities that there are Democratic officials, Democratic governor. Democratic mayors that preside over these highly impoverished black areas? Did he bring up the fact that he was a prosecutor? Did he have that woke moment then when he knew that there were black individuals in his courtroom that were treated unfairly or wound up being disproportionately sentenced? Or did he just care about his prosecutorial record at that time to make sure that he got to CNN to have this woke moment. That's all I'm saying. Well, Dr. Johnson, that's no different from what Queen challenged you on earlier when you were highlighting the fact that disproportionately more Caucasians were participating in the peaceful protests than African-Americans. And when she, you know, came with her sly remark, well, should they get a cookie? or a scoop? And I said a scoop of snack. <laughs> hey. You defended them. Hey. But no, I didn't. I, yes, didn't. Did. I never said like you yes, told you did. her. I was... I yes, you clapping, did, Dr. Johnson. And I wasn't saying you it was I said, do we accept the moment or do we continue to complain that it took them so long to do it? I just have a problem with the uh, with the Cuomo brothers. Uh, Cuomo, Cuomo, what, what's, what is it, Cuomo? I have a problem with the Cuomo brothers. That's all I'm saying. Well, your problem with the Cuomo brothers or not, withstanding, I have to give them credit for calling a spade a spade. I mean, let's just be real. We already knew it. But it's by time that one of them finally stood up and said, enough is enough. That, that was a dangerous time to use that term, I'm just saying. <laughs> what? Use what term? A spade, a spade. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. See, you're trying to make it into something racial when you know that's what we say in the South. When we put the truth on the table, you know what I'm talking about? Call a spade a spade. It's a dangerous moment to use that one. <laughs> No, you just falling into your character of being Dr. Discourse. Ain't the queen, he being Dr. Discourse. <laughs> I was just going to say, don't fall for it, Carlos. He, he too is a tool of the patriarchy. Yeah. Don't fall oh, please. Oh, please. He the monkey wrench in the program. <laughs> so y'all have done a little less than call me Uncle Tom, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. 
Hey, that's okay. Your, hey, hey, we all but liking you to Don Lemon, huh, man? <laughs> no, Don Lemon is shook back. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when did he fall out of favor? Hey, what, wait. What happened? Don Lemon said you will not take his black card. Don Lemon came back, man. Wait, so basically what you're saying is he elevated over the other Johnson. <laughs> Hey, he done creeped above you. Oh, man, for the longest, man, Don Lemon would make all kind of outlandish statements. And, you know, he's also married to a white man. So, you know, but yeah, Don Lemon came back. He done came back to the fold. Well, since I never voted for the black delegation, my card stays with me. (laughs) You know... I'm I'm gonna send you a couple of uh, a couple of the questions from the game Black Card Revoke. I, I guarantee you, you probably miss them all. I posted them on on my page. Just take a look at them. But I'm gonna send you some. Well, yeah, man. Um, I think that we all need to, as we used to say in the late '90s, early 2000s, take a chill pill and reflect on this episode as well as the previous version of it, Part One. I think we need to reflect and develop our closing remarks strategically so we can state our valid points, but still have a positive and uplifting message at the same time. All right. Here we go. Closing remarks. I just want to encourage people to become active and whatever that looks like. I have not had an opportunity to join any of the marches yet. I plan to go to one this Friday because I just feel like I am compelled to do so. I am getting involved with uh, some organizations that's going to help with voter registration. And so, you know, I'm I'm taking that on personally. That's going to be my contribution uh, to help get as many people as we possibly can registered to vote because November 3rd, 45, you about to lose your job. I don't know if y'all saw that viral video, but it is really stuck in my head and I love it. It's my favorite song right now. Uh, So I sang it to 45 every day. You about to lose your job. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to once again, thank you for tuning in to uh, Chewing the Fat. And for closing remarks, I would just like to say that the times don't define you. Your reaction to the times define you that we're at a crossroad in American history. And the one thing I have faith in is the spirit of this country. Although we've, as a nation, we have lofty goals, that that constitution and that declaration of independence and even the preamble to the constitution has some lofty ideals in it. But what I love about this nation is that we're constantly trying to live up to them. And we have that opportunity. We have those beliefs. And the one aspect of all of it is, is that we'll never be stronger apart than we are together. So share us with your friends, share us with someone you don't like, but let's begin this conversation. Let's talk and uh, check us out on Apple, check us out on Spotify, and you can also listen to us on Google and several other platforms. And of course, Anchor, which is the one we record on. So God bless and you have a wonderful evening. Indivisibly, that means do not divide.
my closing remarks are simply, and, and, and I'm sorry, maybe it's because I'm an ex-athlete. I have a very competitive nature, but I've always held true to the notion of together each achieves more. We're all in this thing together. There's only one earth. There's only one society, albeit a global one, but there's only one society. That being said, it's incumbent on all of us to be able to cohabitate so we can inhabit this planet. And with the way things are going nowadays, I don't really see a future for future generations absent civil unrest. I mean, it's time, strictly time for systemic racism, all racism, actually, to cease and desist. We all have to live together and we all have to depend on one another to live. That being said, why are we looking to destroy one another? I think there was a 90s hip hop song, Self-Destruction. You're headed for self-destruction. Well, that's where we're headed. Self-destruction. If we don't rectify our issues, that means we have to face the racial issue in this country head on. Put the topics on the table, like Dr. Johnson always says, let's identify the issues, discuss solutions to those issues, and what kind of resources we have that can get us over those humps and those hurdles and those inhibitors to us reaching those resolutions. Any other thoughts? All right, y'all. Well, hey, listeners, thank you guys for having us. This has been a wondrous inaugural season of Chewing the Fat. We look forward to future episodes and providing current and relevant topics for you guys to listen and debate on. As Dr. Johnson and Queen said, hit us up on social media. Send us your feedback. Give us your suggestions on topics we can cover. All of that. We're happy to hear from you. We're happy to entertain you. This has been Chewing the Fat. My name is Carlos. And I am the real Queen Bee. And I'm your ever effervescent Dr. Johnson. And this has been Chewing the Fat. Thank you, guys. Good night.